In this study at this hour, we would like to share with you some of the seven humble conditions to answered prayer. You remember in another study that we had, we were sharing how the conditions to answered prayer really are promised gifts. So as many of the seven as we can get through in this short service are all promised conditions. They're all promised gifts from the wonderful hand of the Lord. We'll probably only deal with maybe three or four of the seven at this hour. The first is to feel our need. Jesus said in Matthew, the fifth chapter and the sixth verse, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. He promises an infilling for those who are hungry, who are thirsty. When you came in to this service, or those of you who are viewing in your homes, as we began this service, did you feel a hunger? Let me share with you an experience. My wife and I were attending a, a series of meetings, and we had the privilege on one particular large holy day of, of going with a young couple. They had invited us after the 11 o'clock service to their home to be their guest. Uh, the speaker that morning wasn't particularly interesting, but as the service came to a close and we were making our way home to the young man's house, he began to crab. He said, that was terrible. That man was the worst speaker. He was terrible. And after he'd carried on for a while, and I could get a word in edgewise, I thought, I hoped. I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? Well, no. I said, when you came into the sanctuary this morning, did you ask God to feed your hungry soul? Well, I said, no, of course not. I said, of course, that's the reason why you weren't fed. Jesus says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Though the speaker was not particularly interesting, God was there. And I said, I went in pleading with God to feed my hungry soul. And I got three specific blessings from that message this morning. Friends, you know, there are too many Christians who are pitchfork Christians. They pitch the message over to somebody else. Oh, they say, don't you wish that Mrs. Smith were there today? How she needed it. Pitch, pitch. And Mr. Jones, oh, how he needed it. Pitch, pitch, pitch. But of course, I didn't need it, you know. But there's so many other people who needed it. I think of a lady who came to the altar in one of our series of meetings. She said, I saw various people coming to the altar, some who wanted deliverance over tobacco, others over alcohol and various vices. And she said, the, this night when I came, the Holy Spirit impressed me with my sin. She said, I've been a member of the church for 14 years. She said, during the 14 years, I've attended church every Sabbath day. But she said, during the 14 years, I have never yet heard the sermon. Oh, I've heard little snatches. And that's all. She said, as I have sat there while the minister was speaking, whoever he was, I have been examining the different people there. And I said, oh, why, why didn't the Browns, why don't they discipline their kids better? And, uh, and these, Elmer White and his wife, 
why in the world don't they, aren't they more self-sacrificing? And she said, I've sat there and I've examined the garments of everybody in the church for 14 years. I've never heard the message. She said, and the Holy Spirit impressed upon me my Pharisaism. And she said, and so I came tonight. I asked God, I begged of God to forgive me. I say, thank the Lord. What do you say, friends? Amen. A second condition, a humble condition to answered prayer, is that we will let the Lord answer, fulfill his promises his way. Isaiah 42, 16 says, I will bring the blind by way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they've not known. The tendency of us human beings is to not merely claim a Bible promise, but to ask the Lord to do it at the time we would like and the way that we determine. We're pitting our creaturely wisdom against the infinite wisdom of our Creator. May God forgive us. What do you say? Number three. In Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, there are a series of statements that I had never realized, except the 24th verse, for many, many years as a minister. I never realized that the 25th verse of Mark 11 is completely united with the 24th verse. And Jesus went on to say in the 24th verse something like this, What things soever you desire when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. That's why we call this a prayer of reception, because he said, believe that you receive them. Not that you might receive them, but that you do, and you will have them. Then the 25th verse says, but when you stand praying, forgive. Forgive if you have ought against any. So Jesus has united completely with prayer a forgiving spirit. My wife and I were conducting a series of meetings in the southeast. And at the close of one of the services, a lady told her experience. And this was her experience. She stated that she had an abdominal can uh, tumor. It wasn't cancerous, a tumor. She said almost before she realized how rapidly it was growing, she had become so weak that by the time she went to her, to her doctor, he explained to her that she was too weak for surgery, but if she could regain strength, he had no great fear about the surgery. And she said, and then I began to realize that I couldn't regain my strength. I took my bed. And so I sent for a dear minister friend of mine. I knew him very well, W.R. Eliot. He was a president of one of the conferences in the Southeast, a very godly man. And she said, I invited him, I, I urged him, please, to come quickly to my home and pray for me. She said, he came. These were in the days when transportation was much slower than it is today. She said, he walked into my sick room and he said to me, sister, uh, and he was taking out his Bible from his valise, he was taking out the anointing oil. He said, sister, uh, is everything all right between you and the Lord? Oh, she said, Pastor Elliot, everything is all right. Oh, I'm so happy. Uh, by the way, sister, is everything all right between you and uh, every living soul? Yes, sir, pastor, everything. Well, she said, uh, I might, yes, except for one person. 
She said, and let me explain this to you. She said, we had a flood quite some time ago. I had a little guest home. And this lady's home was flooded out. And I opened my guest home to her. I didn't even charge her rent. I told her all she'd have to do is just pay for the electricity that she used. And she said, Pastor, when that lady finally returned to her home, she never even paid the electric bill. She said, I don't think that's right, do you? And she said, with that, the pastor put his Bible back in the valise, put the anointing oil back in, and he said, Sister, when you've straightened this out, let me know. And she said he was gone. Just like that, he was gone. She said, I had three days of the greatest agony you can imagine. Am I supposed to like it? When, somebody, when I give a person free of charge my cottage, and they don't even have the courtesy or the generosity or the honesty or the fairness to even pay for the electric bill? And she said, but <clears throat> I began to realize that I had really become better. And she said, I fought that out with the Lord for three days and three nights. But you know, my friends, when a person is facing death and he knows it, it's a little easier to surrender some of the th these things to the Lord, right? She said, I finally found peace of mind. Why, that's no reason I should be bitter to the person. If this person has done, hasn't done right, they'll have to face a judgment. They don't need my bitterness. I should be like Jesus. Father, forgive them. They nailed him to the cross, and he forgave them. Lord, I'm sorry I've entertained bitterness. She is the loser, not I, except as I become better. So she said, then I sent a message to the pastor, return, everything's all right. She said, when he returned, it was several, several days later. In fact, I think it was several weeks. He was a very busy man, had calls in many places for similar prayer and other things. She said, when he returned to my home and he walked into my sick room, he said, Sister, is everything all right between you and the Lord? Yes, Pastor Elliot, everything is all right. Sister, is everything all right between you and every living soul? Pastor, everything is all right, I assure you. But the pastor wasn't too sure. He said, Sister, I'm going for a little walk. I'll go out for 20 minutes or half an hour, and during this time, I'd like to have you search your heart. And when I return, I'm going to ask you the question again. And with that, she said, he's walking out of the house. But she said, I knew that everything had been straightened out. I knew that there was no bitterness in my heart. When he returned about a half an hour later, he walks in again and he said, Sister, is everything all right between you and every human soul? Pastor Elliot, she said, everything, I assure you. There's not a taint of bitterness in my heart toward a living soul. The Lord has come in. He's taken all the bitterness away. By the way, friends, you know, that's the only way bitterness can be taken care of. God says, a new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. She said, with that, he reached into the valise, took out his Bible, took out the anointing oil. She said, he read a scripture. He knelt down before me. There's I was in the bed. She said, he put a few drops of this oil in the palm of his hand. And as he began to anoint my forehead, she said, Pastor Kuhn, I felt a surgeon's knife 
cutting around this tumor, but no pain. And I felt as he cut completely, the complete circle around this tumor, I felt my body contracting. And she said, I was so happy, I couldn't pray, I praised the Lord. I was just shouting his praises. And she said, and, and the pastor was gone. She said, I got up, I was preparing supper, my husband returned home, and as he walked into the house, and he took one look at me, and he said, Ethel, what in the world has happened? She said, I said, honey, Jesus has been here. My friends, why do answers wait? God says, Jesus says, when you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any. This is part of the prayer of reception. We ask him, we believe, we thank him that we've received, but we also need to receive his loving spirit, the new heart, you see. As he gives us the new heart and the new spirit, then everything else will fall into place. But if we're merely asking for things rather than, rather than really dealing with this new heart that we need, we're dealing with it in the wrong way. The next a humble condition to answered prayer is we should always pray through the merits of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So as we ask, we're to say to the Lord something like this, dear Lord, we don't deserve anything, nothing except death. But dear Lord, through the merits of Jesus Christ we come. And you know, my friends, Jesus Christ became the new father of the human race. And everything that the father will give Jesus, he will give us in Jesus so far as we can use it to advance his cause in saving men and women. And so we look up into his face and we say, Lord, you've said, let my prayer before you, the lifting up of my hands, be as the evening sacrifice. Oh, I tell you many times, as I've prayed all alone, I've lifted my hands. The psalmist said, this represents the evening sacrifice, which was a lamb. I'm virtually saying, Lord, between your justice and my guilt, there is the lamb of God. That he is the mediator between man and God. While I deserve nothing, Jesus deserves all the resources of the universe. And since my desire is only to advance his cause, I come through his merits and his merits alone. And that brings us to the next. When we get the answers, we should always give God the credit. In uh, Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Now, the three parts to that. We call on God. We claim his promise. He answers. Then our part then is to let men and women know that God did it. You know what humility is in this area? Humility is just plain honesty. If I don't have something and I ask God to give it to me, and he does, and then I accept somebody's flattery as though I had it all the while. You know what I'm guilty of? Dishonesty. 
somebody once in a while will say to some member of our team, oh my, I think it's so wonderful, you're so, you're so humble. Wonderful is just plain honesty. You've heard me tell how when I was a little boy and God called me to the ministry, I didn't have it. I had no talents. And now somebody comes up and said, Coon, my, you have such talent. Listen, I have nothing. Friend, don't ever let anybody flatter you. Give the credit where it belongs. You and I do not possess it. Even the willpower to overcome sin comes from the Lord. Philippians 2.13 It is God that worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. I remember several years ago, I decided in one of my series of meetings, why don't you start sort of a tobacco AA, you know. And why don't you invite people who'd like victory over tobacco in any form to meet you in the study or some side room. So I announced, any of you dear people who are eager to find deliverance over, over the filthy weed, you can meet us in such and such a room. And I said, and we would invite anyone who has found deliverance to meet us back there. So we must have had maybe four or five there who wanted deliverance over tobacco. And perhaps there were three or four who came in who had received deliverance. So poor, innocent, naive me looked to one of these people who had indicated that, that he didn't smoke anymore. I said, would you like to share your experience in Jesus with these people? And you know what he said? He said, I want to tell you, I smoked and I made up my mind that I was going to stop smoking. And so I stopped smoking. And what I did, you can do. I said, oh Lord, have mercy. I, 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 I. He never once said, the willpower that I did not have, all at once, that willpower that possessed me, came from God. For God said, it is he that works in us, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Friends, he could have said, I had no willpower. Until I looked up in the face of God, and through his infinite loving grace, he gave me the willpower to stop. And then a second man started to talk. I'll tell you what I did. What who did? What I did. You know, before they got through talking, <laughs> I, made a, I made a decision. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I'm through with this kind of witnessing. Brother, when God delivers you and me, when God gives you any ability or any talent, give God the glory. Don't let poor, foible humanity Give us the credit. We don't deserve it. We never have deserved it. We never will deserve it. Therefore, plain honesty is to say, God deserves the credit. What do you think? That's what God wants, friends. And then the next is, when we request of the Lord, it should be for an unselfish purpose. You remember the Lord's Prayer, the second or the repetition of the Lord's Prayer is found in Luke, the 11th chapter. Immediately after Jesus reviewed the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, he told them about, in verse, from verse 5 to 13, he told them about the nature of answered prayer, what to do with it, what is the motive in praying. And he presented the unselfish purpose that's so pleasing to the Lord. He said, oh, what man is there of you who, if a, if a, if a friend of his comes at midnight, and you don't have anything to set before him. And you'll go to your friend and you'll say to your neighbor, 
a friend of mine in his journey has come, and I have nothing to set before him. Would you please lend me three loaves? And I, then by contrast, he makes clear that while his neighbor might only get up just so that he wouldn't be hounded and couldn't sleep, God's just the opposite, that God is eager to come to our rescue. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, and of course with him, every gift that we need? So we're to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't want you just to hear and answer my prayer because I have an ache or a pain. Why, you do want to come to my rescue, and you've come to the rescue of many individuals whose uh, early petition, immature petition, was almost purely selfish. Yet as we mature in Christ, our petitions are to become more and more unselfish. True. True. You find the, the leper, as recorded in Matthew chapter 8. He comes to Jesus. He falls on his knees. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He did not say, Lord, if you'll cleanse me, I'll use the rest of my life in your service. He was not mature enough yet. But when, God, when Jesus showed him the generous love of God, the unselfishness of God, then by beholding God's unselfishness, as we grow in grace, we become more and more unselfish until our prayers become more mature, more unselfish. We find ourselves then praying for our sons and daughters, our husbands and wives, purely on the basis of our unselfish love for them, you see. And may I say this, friends. Husbands, pray for your wife when she doesn't act like you want her to. Wives, pray for your husband when he doesn't act the way you want him to. You know, prayer is powerful. Prayer is the key that opens heaven's storehouse. And God wants our prayers to become more and more and still more unselfish. We're told that George Mueller, before he'd enter upon any new project, you remember he cared for as many as 2,000 orphans at a time, that he would open his Bible and he'd pray before an open Bible until he had no selfish desire of his own. He said, Dear Lord, first of all, I must arrive at this maturity where I'm not asking you for this special answer to feed my ego, my selfish heart. And he said when he came to a place where he, had, he knew that he had no will of his own, he could reach up in simple childlike trust. In the days when money was money, he received seven and a half million dollars. That's when money really was money, without soliciting one penny. Why? Because his burden was for the orphan, the fatherless, you see. For people in foreign lands, he sent out as many as 200 missionaries, gave away thousands and tens of thousands of tracts, cared not for himself. His whole burden was that of blessing humanity. And may I say, friends, this is the burden of video evangelism. When we formed this corporation, we who are the incorporators, Brother David, Brother Steve, my wife, Sister Clary, and myself, we sat down and prayed together. And we said, no matter how much work we do in video evangelism, we shall never take a penny salary. The video evangelists are going out and showing these. 
do not accept one penny for salary. They will accept a little offering to help with expenses, but not for salary. God is delighted with this type of service. Then you can reach up and say, Lord, not for me, but for souls. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, if there's a heart this evening who's been touched by your Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has said, humble yourself before the Lord. Let me give you an unselfish heart. May that soul say, yes, Lord, give me that kind of heart so that I can reach up and get answers to bless humanity. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.